0: back. This is Terrence Reardon and welcome to the Rock and Metal Combat podcast. Back. This is my show now and those assholes the Spick and the Mick were unbearable to deal with. The names have all changed since you hung around. But those dreams have remained and they've turned around. So now I take over. So get a beverage, grab some food, pull up a chair, and sit back and hear me school your asses and listen to the Rock and Metal Combat podcast. And you better like it, you son of a bitch.
1: The bosses are back. Schmack em a gob. It's me. I'm back on the Rock and Metal Combat podcast. Doctor fucking with me
2: is. Oh, yeah! Wadzilla, baby! Good to have you back.
1: Yeah, right. (laughs) Hey, Wadzilla, who else is here?
2: Oh, man. This is going to be an epic episode, because joining us today, we got Ryan T. Russell, Edwin (laughs) Canastrosi, and then you you know who had to be here for a motley crew. Luscious Johnny thanks. B, Johnny Bogan, guys, hey, thanks wait, wait, for joining uh, us today.
1: Uh, Call Ian. us the Rock Cox. Wait, 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 Ian, can you do me a favor and say "Luscious Johnny B" very slow because I'm fiddling with my anus.
2: <laughs> Luscious Johnny B. Oh. oh, oh, love it.
1: I made a messy.
3: <laughs> You're welcome. All right,
1: guys, so we're gonna talk about top twenty. 20- what is it, 25 Molly Cruz songs but yeah. before we get into that um let's talk about terrence reardon's biggest nightmare the reunion of the rock and metal combat podcast and we also have to throw in mr i mean Mrs. or what a turtle andrew jacobs who gave planted the seeds for terrence to start a rock and metal combat podcast They both thought, aha, we're going to fuck these two guys over. After, you know, we won't forgive them because they're posers. And we're back, bitches. We're back. And uh, Terrence is a racist. And oddly enough, uh, Ian gave me a link to 40 minutes of him saying a bunch (laughs) of stupid shit. And a lot of it was racist shit. And is it still up? I checked yesterday. It was still up.
2: I cannot believe it. I checked today and it's still up. And I know a lot of people who reported that video uh, and it is still up. And there's like, if, if, if you look at how you can report a video on YouTube, there's lots of different things you could uh, list for your reasons. There's about six of them in that video that he put up that, uh, you know, is is should be grounds for being taken down. And normally I don't, I don't like all that kind of shit. I mean, if people want to make an ass out of themselves, that's them. But in the wor- world we live in now, I can't believe it's still up, but it is. I can't believe that Terrence hasn't taken it down because I thought with all this attention on it, because now it's like his most popular video, because people are checking that shit out, uh, that he would be ashamed to take it down. But it just shows you by that he stands by what he said in this video.
0: I mean, yeah video to all the Latino gangs in the greater Boston area, and I told Terrence that I did. Nice. Hell
1: yeah. He hates dicks. He
0: he hates everybody, and the video that
2: you made that's on, on our YouTube page is hilarious, but you've really only got a tip of the iceberg of who he talked about. He also, I mean, we kind of talked about blacks and Jews, and he also uh, talked about Italians and gays, oh. and he just went off on everybody and, and and that's what this guy is really about and we've taken a lot of shit before from people you know when we go off on Terrence and we give this asshole so many fucking extra tries and breaks and he always fucks it up but this is his true colors okay and you can't blame any of this shit on you know his high functioning autism I, I mean look, look, at, look at Chris Sinzak He's fucking Polish. I mean, that gets you a parking space alone at the front of the store. You know, and, but he doesn't act like that. You know, no, that man. doesn't cause you to act like that. This is just a racist fucking person.
1: Yeah. And, and, uh, uh, yeah. You know, I mean, I was I was one of the guys that uh, dude, do. Don't bring him on the page because, you know, everybody's going to abuse him, This and that. But, you know, I, I don't think I was off. I don't think i left the rock and metal combat podcast when he started really annoying me because he started making like racist type posts i mean and um i stopped talking to him but i still kept him on on facebook but then one day out of the blue he fucking makes a video of uh ian and ralph got back together and they're talking about my back, and they're talking talking behind my back so kiss my ass this and then i go okay there you go that's it i'm done So, you know, I blocked him and it was over, you know, but it was over on my side because it was over a year. It's been like a year and two months that I have not replied to a single fucking dig this guy kept giving me, you know, a whole year of it. And it just progressively got worse and worse because he got a little ballsy thinking, well, Ralph Ralph must be afraid of me. He ain't saying shit. But boy, by the time like he fucking threw out and I downloaded it because he did. He did delete it. That fucking uh, promo he did with that Mushmouth guy, he said I was a pedophile. And that was it. I said, okay, I'm breaking my silence. So I wrote a beautiful song called Terrence. And he still got a little mouthy after that. But then when I said that I was going to download all the Rock and Metal Combat Podcast episode he did and do commentaries, that's when he shut the fuck up. And that's when uh, Jacobs disappeared. Notice Jacobs was around for a while, like leaving little digs like on the well not digs, but leaving stupid comments on the youtube page and he just like disappeared because they're both they're both in the fetal position they can't believe that their stupid scheme got the rock and metal combat podcast back together it's their biggest
2: nightmare jacobs totally went into hiding and the funny thing is he's another racist sexist self-hating jew (laughs) <laughs> I can't believe Terrence even aligns himself with him because he's a Jew that Terrence hates so bad. Yep. These, these people are—they are just insane. They have no friends. They are the laughing stock of the podcast community. Andrew Jacobs is known as a, as a stalker, and everybody says it behind behind his back. Some people kept you know kept it uh, for a better lack of the word kosher with them. Uh, because he would promote their podcasts But nobody likes the guy And now he's blocked uh, he, he blocked Chris Sinzak And Aaron Camaro Because they're still friends with you and me Ralph, And uh, talking shit about The uh, You know the Rock and Pod Expo And talking shit about our fans and, and just the racist shit These guys put on their page too And that's the funny thing Normally I hate this You know having so many different profiles. But nowadays, you almost kind of need it because you'll get one banned on Facebook, so you need that backup. So these guys have banned me, but they didn't ban the other uh, profile, so I can still see what these assholes are writing on Facebook. I, I mean, and here here's just a couple of things that Terrence put on his Facebook page uh, regarding the Jews and, and what he blames them for, which is basically everything. But I'm just going to read you a few things that he credits uh, as being the Jews' fault on his Facebook page. Let's see here. Um, The drum sound on St. Anger. uh, That's the Jews' fault. Uh, George Clooney playing Batman. The Jews. (laughs) Dan Marino never winning a Super Bowl. The Jews. I mean, it's just on,
1: on. And if you really Uh, want to think about it, Andrew Jacobs brought back the Rock and Metal Combat
2: Podcast. Blame that on the Jews.
3: all his fault.
2: We need to yeah. fake him for that. Yeah. 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 Hey, Terrence, there's a reason to hate Andrew Jacobs. He's a Jew who brought this show back. <laughs> <laughs> the best thing he's ever done. And, <clears throat> and, and, and Andrew, Andrew Jacobs on his page. I, I mean, this guy, you know, there's, there's all this shit about, you know, uh, the new documentary on HBO about Woody Allen. And Andrew Jacobs says uh, he doesn't see anything wrong because that wasn't his biological child. So diddle away. I, I mean, this guy.
0: And Everything Terence does backfires on him. This is a perfect and example. Total backfire, on both of them. I mean, well, Terence. For me personally, I would. I was friends with Terence. I'd put up a post on Facebook about me and my kids at a museum. He'd comment on it. Johnny Vogans a gay who likes rat. He's a gay. And 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 eventually, it just got to be the point where he totally out of control. And uh, I ended up catfishing him into the Rocket Metal Combat podcast page. I I put up a post. It was one of those posts where the band's overrated. You know, this band's underrated. And I put Pink Floyd and Kansas as bands that I didn't like, which I like those bands. And uh, someone messaged me and said, hey, I saw your post on the Rocket Metal podcast. Do you really not like Pink Floyd? I was like, no, I'm catfishing Terrence. Just give it two minutes. Watch what happens. Sure enough. He went off and started making racist, homophobic comments. Then he left the page, blocked me. But yet, every month sends me a friend request.
1: And I, and I and he did think he was coming back on the podcast. He thought he was going to replace me, which well, is hilarious.
2: Here, here's what I, I told him. When you and I had our Fallen Out, I had him do the intro to the first show. And I was like, let's test the waters. And I'm like... Terrence, if, as long as you behave yourself and don't start having meltdowns, I'll, I'll let you back on the page, and the very last fan episode that I do, I'll do with you, if you can control yourself. And that lasted for about a week. And, and I just had to get rid of them. But I finally, I did what you and numerous other people told me. They said, don't even entertain them. Just block them leave him alone I did the same thing with Andrew Jacobs and Andrew Jacobs kept writing me uh, these emails the same exact email he sent you
1: yeah he, he copy and pasted
2: yeah he he Ian, and
1: he just changed the names
2: and, and I never responded and then he would start sending me just like you know uh, hate ones and, and and talking talking shit about everything talking shit about you Uh, talking shit about me, talking shit about Rock and Pod, and and all of it, I just ignored. I was like, you know, I'm not even going to entertain this shit. You know, you're a miserable prick, fuck you. But they just kept going and going, and this attempt to to basically steal the show, uh, like, that ain't fucking happening. And another, in what world does Terrence live in where he thinks he quit the show? he yeah. was fired we have it on tape i mean it's we, been played on episode we have but he, we have on, we have on
1: tape him we have on tape him groveling please don't fire me we, we have him
0: on tape saying that here's what kind of world he's living in i'll just read a quote from you between terrence and myself terrence is it true that david gilmore has a restraining order against you <laughs> at johnny Vogan. last i checked i'm on the good graces of gilmore and mason and Wright camp waters is the one who banned me all in capital letters from his instagram for exposing his lips his lip syncing stupid i know fat zilla and fuck face are paying you to piss me off <laughs> beware <laughs> beware the rocket metal combat podcast is coming back thanks to me and my new host, jk well that part is right <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> it is coming back
1: to him and Bubble hey. Mouth because of those two. This show came back, so there you can't fault him. He was correct there because of him. We're back. Hey, hey, my I think it's man, Jacobs man, but Andrew Jacobs. man, um, <laughs> no, but he knows he sucks because why wasn't he part of the Rock and Metal Combat podcast, Terrence version?
2: I think it's because he's a Jew. Terrence won't let him on.
1: But <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, the, and 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 uh, like I say, like six months ago, uh, Andrew was leaving comments on my YouTube videos saying, "Oh, Godzilla this, Godzilla that," like like slamming you. Thinking I would be like, "Yeah, fuck that guy. Let's join forces," Andrew. You know, and I just ignored it. I was like, I don't don't fucking. And I want to bring up some other douchebag. Uh, um, Anthony Bonex was another idiot that was sending me message of, hey, Ian said this and that and this about you. And I wrote him back saying, dude, I have all this shit screenshot. I go, dude, I don't want to hear about it. That's it. I'm done. Then he ends up going on the Dr. Fuck page. And there's this 15 year old girl in the chat that he ends up calling a cunt. So that was it. I was done with him. But before, and I, I have these screenshots, before I banned him, I said, he said, please don't ban me, please. I'm a big Thrasher Die fan. I have Melting Your Skull on CD. And I didn't reply. I just banned him. And then, uh, I think, it was, yeah, it was Mark. Mark sent me a screenshot of him writing to Mark saying, you know what, man? Honestly, Thresh or Die are annoying and I'm going to burn the vinyl. I was like, wait, I thought you had the CD, <laughs> you know? <laughs> Uh, the guy that's another fucking idiot. And um he um he he's just I, I put him in the same fucking uh, class. It's it's the three stooges. It's it's well, parents. I be- Go ahead.
2: I, I I believe that's the same guy. Isn't this the guy that changed his name to Odorus urungus
4: That I don't know. Oh, he get- had some he he had another name. It was something like that.
2: Oh, okay, well I know he changed as soon as you got rid of him, then he came on the, the rock metal page and started talking shit about you and said he doing the same thing, sending me shit about you. And I did the same thing. I'm like, whatever. I, I don't want to hear it either. And he, he did the same thing. He started attacking people on the the Facebook page. And I was like, I really didn't want to ban I'm Like, people can fight for themselves. But then he said something uh, about Daniela Hill, Charlie Hill's wife. And I was like, that's it. That's it. You're fucking gone. And, and, and I booted him. So... It's funny, all these people that try to play sides, and both of us see it coming a mile away and never wanted any part of it. And uh, I guess it's just, it's part of having the greatest podcast in the world. You, you attract all kinds of types, and uh, we definitely got some losers here.
4: Do, do you think I, that they're being, like, real clever? Like, they think they're doing, like, Game of Thrones, Succession type shit? <laughs> like, I'm I don't playing know, this high. But...
0: <laughs> L- like More like Dungeons and & and Dragons.
2: <laughs> yeah. It, it comes back tenfold on Terrence because not only are the true, you know, members of the Rock and Metal po- Combat podcast back together, but now I just saw that Roger Waters and David Gilmore are getting back together, and it's going to be a concept album about how autism is God's punishment for incest.
1: <laughs> so You know, I, I read the same thing, Ian, and also... It also said that it's, uh, it's a concept about that and also a concept of idiots that like Pink Floyd without Roger Waters.
2: <laughs> but at least he'll still be in Richard Wright's good graces.
1: Yeah, he you always know. will be since he's dead.
2: <laughs> dead people yes. can't
1: ban. Dead, dead people can't write
2: restraining orders. Sid Barrett says he's a swell guy, too. <laughs> but this son of a bitch. So, so for anybody out there who uh, you know feels like, oh God, they're picking on this, uh, you, you know, uh, poor retard. You know, go look at his videos online yeah. and come back and tell me what a stellar fucking human being this is. And look how many other people there are in the world who have different types of disabilities and afflictions that do not act like this. You know, this not is not it. a not a yeah. It. This is not a symptom of that This is just a fucking prick And, you know, don't get mad at us Ralph brought up a very good point When we were talking the other day The, the person, if anybody should go to jail It should be his father yeah. For allowing this shit
1: Yeah, because you know? look look, The FBI, remember this Ian Because me and Ian, during the early days When he was still on it He told us, remember that story He told us, the FBI came to his door yeah. Wasn't it John Kerry? That's what I'm yep. thinking. Yep. It was John Kerry that was running for president, right? And the FBI yep. came to his door. Right there is a fucking, you know, it's... A, how the fuck will Terrence is, Terrence's dad allow him back on the internet after that Bull. It's like, hey, son, that's it. No internet for you, man. You got the FBI at my fucking door. So, so basically, Terrence's dad really sucks for allowing this guy to get back online and look at, look at, look at that video he put up. You know, it's just insane. The, the way this guy talks about other races and, and, uh, <clears throat> and also Andrew Jacobs, Andrew Jacobs. What did he call me in? Brown sugar daddy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I said, I said to Andrew Jacobs, I go, what the fuck is that all over your face? And he said, Oh, you're talking about my freckles. I was like, those ain't freckles. Motherfucker. That's some weird skin condition you got from licking fucking
2: doorknobs, you know? <laughs> I, I, I think that's some untreated syphilis he got from his wife. I think he went to China and licked doorknobs. Well, I know they all went to China because, you know, I know some people disagree with with my views and what I consider, you know, the, the truth uh, about the world today. I watch CNN and it says right there that this whole fucking COVID started from a pig. Fucking a rock sponge in Wuhan, China. <laughs> so, you know, I I, I think uh, I I think Andrew Jacobs' wife was was sticking it to fucking Terrence, and some of it dripped in Andrew Jacobs' mouth, and they come back spreading this horrible disease. You know, that that's not me. That's on the news. You know, this is I, real shit. I shitty. think
1: I saw the same report on uh, on MSNBC. Yeah,
2: yeah. yeah. Hey, just, mean, just put a scumbag. You know, and and both these guys. You know. I've heard people say, oh, don't pick on fucking uh, Andrew Jacobs, you know, because cause he's not mentally stable either. And if I want to take cheap shots at somebody, I mean, both of these guys were molested. I don't make fun of that, you know? <laughs> I, I mean, seriously, seriously, you know, I, I I try to take the fucking high road, you know, while while their, you know, stepfathers took the dirt
3: road. oh,
1: <laughs> oh, oh. Well, fuck Whoa. you guys and uh you've been you've been owned and now what a major case of deja vu for Andrew, right? After the uh podcast Kings tournament. How we broke him and he started sending us apologies. Because everybody turned on him. All those podcasts he was trying to badmouth us, all turn on him and the rock and metal combat podcast army goofing on him. We broke him to the point he was groveling and begging for forgiveness and you know that email he sent us he wanted us to reply going no Andrew it's okay we're friends because why would you write an email to somebody saying stuff like I know you want to be my friend again if he's not hoping you'd be his friend again and he proved me right because when you and I ignored the email he went right back on everything he wrote on that email every single thing he said he apologized for he started going back. And I didn't say a fucking word about him this whole time. For him to go back on all that shit just proves Dell's emails meant he wanted to get in our good graces. He wanted to be our friend. And remember, the genesis of Andrew Jacobs was putting up posts about the best podcast. And we were always number one on this list.
2: Always. Oh, yeah. And, you know, he didn't get mad at me until I started calling out about all these like, women-hating, misogynistic posts that he would make. And it wasn't, you know, it's one thing if you make a joke, you know, but this guy, like, had serious issues, and I called him on it. Like, dude, what's your problem? And and then it all went downhill from there. So I didn't, like, start this shit with him. I called him out for just, for some fucked-up shit that I didn't want to see on the page and and had no place. And, you know, but, but they do play the victim card. And, oh, look what he said about, you know... My wife and oh, you know what? Well, you know you married the pig. Yeah, you know. and and look what all the but, uh, he said about us. You know, don't get don't get me started on his wife either. Oh, oh my god, I, I was I was having uh, phone sex with her one time. I said, send me a picture of your pussy. She sent me a headshot of Andrew. Well, <laughs>
1: well, oh. in, her, well in her defense, I was there banging her, and I mistakenly took a picture of Andrew and sent to you. I thought it was her snatch because they kinda look alike.
2: <laughs> I said I said, Mrs. Jacob, she into anal? She said, Yeah, I've been fucking this asshole for about ten years. <laughs> I <pointed to> Andrew. <laughs>
1: and oh and I gotta say the genesis of me being back on the show is all cause of Edwin, kind of scratchy. Cause uh, he sent me a message saying, Look, we're doing a top twenty-five motley crew thing. Uh, if you want to come on and just talk about Terrence, you don't have to be part of the Motley Crue thing. Just come on and uh, do. It. And I said to Edwin, "Did you talk to Ian about this?" He said, "Yes," and he's cool with it. And then I said, "All right, um, give me Ian's number." Or you gave me his number. I don't know how that transpired. Yeah, you asked for his
4: number. I gave. I asked for his number, and, I, his
1: number, and yeah. I called Ian that night, and we ironed everything out. You know, yeah. but before we ironed it out, we were just laughing for like an hour about Terrence. <laughs>
2: Andrew. Oh, we, we within five minutes, we were crying. We were laughing so hard. And, I, you know, I want to thank Edwin for uh, for doing that for me because I had no way to reach out to you. I didn't have a contact for you anymore. And at the time, I was banned uh, from Facebook <laughs> for uh, something, I, you know, for posting. Wait, 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 Terrence's wait, wait, wait. Video.
1: Back, back up a second. You deleted my number, dude.
2: Yeah, I was mad. <laughs>
1: Fuck, man. you didn't have
2: you didn't have my number either, goddamn. Yeah, yeah,
1: you
4: neither of you had each other's numbers. No,
2: but numbers. but, but hey, hey, don't
1: bring up facts. I'm just saying you <laughs> believe my
2: number man. that's fucked up. <laughs> don't make me. hypocrite. Uh, you know this happened, and 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 we, uh, you know, we, we set our piece, and and just it was like no time had passed, and it really makes me happy uh, to know how happy this makes other people because the response of the show coming back the way it should be has been so overwhelming I mean so many people have you know posted on Facebook have sent me messages uh, and texts and stuff how happy they are to have this show back and I'm happy to have my friend back and to do this with you and uh, it, it's just amazing so for that I want to say uh, thank you to Terrence and, and his and his Jew friend uh, <laughs> for lighting this fire under our ass Yep. And again, if, if anybody has any, you know, like, oh, we're bullies, go look at these videos. Look up uh, the pages TJ R Rock Sponge or whatever, and the video, uh, the video is called Rock Sponge Stream of Conscious. <laughs> if, 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 yeah, exactly. <laughs> so if you want to, if you want to see what this person is really like, you know, check that shit out. Then come back to me and tell me how we're bullies. I'll be waiting.
1: Yeah, it doesn't matter. I mean, somebody on the page put up a, a a post that Terrence did where he said something to the effect of, "Now I know some people have dark darkness in them or something like that." And then some guy left a comment going, "I saw the I saw the video Ralph made. What an asshole!" And I'm thinking, number one, that post is really reflecting on Terrence, not me, because he's the dark motherfucker, not me. I'm I'm like a I'm a vengeful motherfucker, you know? I like, I like to get revenge on pricks like Terrence. But um, this guy doesn't know, but it doesn't matter. And you know what? It doesn't matter if anybody calls us a bully. It just doesn't matter. We all know the truth. And the army knows the truth. So yeah. whatever any, any, whatever bullshit Terrence wants to throw out there, Terrence, and I know you're listening. You and Andrew are listening. We have so many screenshots. We have videos. I downloaded so many fucking videos that I'm. Some of them he already deleted. I downloaded a bunch of shit that I can just post on the R page and prove that he said this and that. Including, please don't fire me, Ian. Please don't <laughs> fire me.
4: It, it could I bring up something too because I remember because I'm old school, you know, RMC, you know, CP here. You know, back in the day, I remember there was a period when Ralph was coming to the defense of Terrence on the page because a lot of people were bullying him. Yeah. And it was Ralph who came in and said, stop bullying him. You stuck yeah. up for him. I and, did. Yeah, and you went to bat for that guy. And you Ralph stood more than... Yeah. Walt's
0: done more for Terrence than anybody but his dad. Mediated disputes with him and Mark. Yeah, had him on no. his show. But I, I disagree.
1: It. I disagree. I think I think Terrence's dad hates him. That's why he gives him internet <laughs> access. Hopefully they'll take him to the Funny Farm. That's his plan. I'll get him back on the internet. Hopefully this that this time the FBI will take him away. You know?
2: I, I think I think he treats Terrence like a dog. I think he opens up the door and throws him like a set of Cat Stevens <laughs> yeah. remasters. And then goes upstairs with Andrew Jacobs' wife, you know, like here. This will yeah. keep the little retard, you know, quiet for a couple and hours. I think he
1: slides it under the door. He doesn't even <laughs> want to open it; just slides it
2: under there with his dinner. It puts <laughs> the super tramp on the skin, or gets the hose again.
1: <laughs> Fucking poser. Yeah. He, you know, you know, another thing. You know, I mean, I'm a huge Sticks fan, and so is he. And one of, the, I remember one of the last conversations I had with Terrence was he never heard the Wooden Nickel Sticks albums. He heard everything from Equinox On. Equinox On is when they started going platinum. So he never listened to those albums that didn't sell. That shows you what type of person he is. And listen to this show. He doesn't fucking review any band that hasn't gone platinum at all. And he called, And then he said, what was that shit? I don't think if you saw this, because I think it was on the Almost Human page. He wrote some of the effect of the new rock and metal combat podcast is going to be more diverse. Not these no names; these losers talked about these no <laughs> name bands. It's like, and you're being diverse by by talking about the Eagles. Come on, yeah.
3: should yeah. talk. Should he's, call him the pop sponge.
1: <laughs> he's the Cum sponge. That's what he is.
2: I, I think he's got a new uh, a new series on his channel called Hidden Gems, where he talks about Thriller and Back in Black yeah. and Rumors. <laughs> yeah. shit nobody's heard of.
1: You know, and then that that promo with the Mushmouth going, Metallica. It's like, yeah, dude, would Terrence like Metallica if they never got popular? (laughs) Let's say like uh, Ride of Light and even Master of Puppets never went gold and they're in the league of of a band like Testament or Overkill today. You think he would like Metallica? You think he'd want to talk about them? No, it's because they sold millions. He'll talk, talk about Mataka. He's a fucking poser. And if you want to see what a poser he is, even though I don't remember exactly the episode, but I remember he was lathering my ass on Anthrax.
2: Anything oh, yeah. I said about Anthrax, he agreed. You know that motherfucker don't like Anthrax? Oh, well, no. Here, here's the thing, though. When we talked about doing the album, it was Among the Living. When we talked about doing it, he's like, oh, yeah, I love that one. I love that one. And then he found out you didn't think it was that great. And then he totally changes stance because I call him out in the episode for it. You know, he, you know, and he talk about how he hates Sammy Hagar. Then he goes on his page; he loves Sammy Hagar.
1: Yeah, yeah. Y-
2: you know, he just constantly whatever, uh, you know, to make a friend or whatever's popular, whatever group he's hanging with. That's who he turns into. You know, poor Terrence. You know, he's got to deal with us. The you know the Roger Waters Gilmore reunion and and the whole. <laughs> Jew world order, as he calls it. Yeah, he called
1: it the Jew world order in that video. Yep, he, he she's married to a a, a, a guy with a schnoz that's a kike that runs the media. Exactly, exactly what he says. It's an unbelievable dude. When Ian told me about this video, and I hung up with Ian and I looked at it, I'm telling you, man, my chin was so dirty because it was on the floor. I couldn't believe it. I was like, holy shit! And this is still up. This is like fucking, this this, man, let me tell you something. Fucking even KKK members would say, well, Terrence, that's going a little too far, bro. You
2: know,
1: that's, I'm a little plugged out there. And,
2: and, And the thing Ralph got so happy when I explained to him that this was him, you know, you see him live talking into the mic. You know, so there's there's no way we could put it up and people think like, oh, Ralph edited that or, you know, made it look like he said that. No, it's there clear as day calling people niggers, uh, kikes, dykes, wops, uh, you know, you know, everything, the Jew world order and and all this shit, all this racist shit. And this is the guy that some people say, oh, you're picking on this poor guy. Oh, go fuck yourself. Well, Go that was just me. me. That <laughs> was
1: just me, and I deserve that. Go fuck yourself. I deserve it. I admit it. I deserve it. The, the, I did defend the, the guy, but I defended the guy because, you know, I I didn't know he was fucking racist, you know? If I would have heard all this shit back then, I'd be like, yeah, fuck this guy. But I just figured, ah, oh, he's just a <laughs> retard. Let's, you know.
2: And what I love is when he goes off and he and he says all this shit, he goes, but I'm not anti-Semitic. If I was yeah. anti-Semitic, I, I would hate Arabs, what the fuck does... <laughs> I'm pretty and, sure Arabs hate Jews. And, and brown people. Yeah, and brown people. And, th- and then he says, I'm the nicest guy. I'll give you the shirt off my fucking back. You know? And, and rewind that button a little bit where he's talking about niggers and Jews and uh, dykes and all this shit. Yeah, this this is some great guy that, that you should all have fucking pity on. But... Enough of those two fucking two, three, four idiots we were talking about. We've got four idiots right now to talk about called Motley Crue. <laughs> we got other
4: white dumb racists to talk yeah, about. Yeah, they're
2: <laughs> racist too. <laughs> I don't know how this got picked. We, we did uh, a great episode, a, a marathon, like seven hour episode on Van Halen, which was, you know, kind of the same premise where people put in their their favorite 40 Band Halen songs and Ryan broke it down. I don't know how you got the time or the patience to do this, but he broke it down to the top 25 and we did that. And this was going to be another fan episode, but this time you pick Motley Crue of all the bands you could do. Great bands that deserve a top 25 <laughs> Motley Crue comes up and you know, I'm like, fuck it. You know, it, it's going to give us hours of fucking laughs. Uh, but I, I have no idea why we are honoring a band we already honored. One of our greatest episodes ever was was the, was was it the 20 worst Motley Crue songs? And now we got to turn around and praise them.
1: Yeah, the yeah. 20 the 20 worst Motley Crue songs was a very easy list to make.
3: <laughs> that and Too Fast for Love. I love both those episodes. Uh but uh <laughs> johnny bowie starts crying can I, can I tell you why i picked crew okay it was you ryan that did this yeah. shit well it was okay. it was actually matt weller's dick who kind of hatched <laughs> it he, he was putting a bunch of crew stuff on the page one day and he was doing it kind of in that same you know way of kind of you know their best stuff ever or whatever and i, and I started thinking, and I said, you know, we did Van Halen, which was, you know, obviously like just a four-way circle jerk, you know, it was 25 songs that we all drooled over, and it was just, you know, one song after another of us praising everything, and I- Except I for
4: Johnny Vogan does not fully appreciate-
3: Yeah, um,
0: hear about, <laughs> later. hear about
3: it later.
4: What? It was on my list!
3: Yeah, he
4: has issues with the fucking course.
0: <laughs> <laughs> You're still talking about that. <laughs> hey, Why it not? was on my list.
4: <laughs> it was on my list. Very slow <laughs> on your list. Look, <laughs> Van Halen. <laughs> you remember that, Johnny, on your deathbed. Not everything can be
2: top ten. It's hard.
4: It's a it top ten song.
2: <laughs> i I got to tell you, I, everybody knows Here About It Later is, uh, you know, one of my favorite Van Halen songs of all time. It was my ringtone, uh, Pharrell. But yeah, it doesn't have a chorus like merry-go-round and round, merry-go-round and round. I like the song.
1: Round and
4: round.
3: But ain't no hear about it later. Oh. And yeah. now we know why Motley
0: Crue was picked for the episode. Yeah, no,
3: but I just thought it would be, you know, we could have done Sabbath, we could have done Rush, we could have done
0: a know, good band. We could have done,
3: would have been, all, you know, just love everything. I just thought it would be fun to break it up and do well. the Rising Band, a band where you know there was going to be songs in that list that Ian would go off on. You know, that's part of the part of the thing I always loved about the show is not just the albums that you guys did that were, you know, universally loved or at least between the two of you both loved. But I loved the episodes where one of the two you guys didn't like it. I love Chinese Democracy episode.
1: Hell yeah, I
3: love that album. I mean, that was part of the fun of the podcast. To me, was always not just, you know, the stuff we all love, but the stuff that, that polarized a little bit.
2: Let's, let's, let's do let's, it. Let's get this shit show on the road. Uh, so basically what happened, asked people on the, who took part in this and on the Facebook page to name the top 40 Motley Crue songs. And then Ryan broke it down and came up, you know, did all the math and came up with the top 25 And we're going to go through that top 25 and give our thoughts on these uh, amazing songs that, to quote quote, uh, page member and super fan TJ James, Nikki Six is my John Lennon. Boy, does he hate the Beatles. he, He hates the Beatles like Terrence hates the Jews. Yeah. Oh my God! So, so Ryan, what came in at number twenty-five of the all-time
3: greatest Nikki Six poems? <laughs> All right. So, I, I it's very. I, I like that at number twenty-five we have a representative uh, from an album that is is going to be polarizing. And and it to me, it's my second favorite Motley Crue album, and I think it's Ralph's favorite. I'll let him speak for that. But at twenty-five, we have from Motley Crue, self-titled 1994, Smoke the Sky. So since uh, I know Ralph loves this album, I'm not sure where he stands in the song. Ralph, why don't you kick it off and let us know what you think about Smoke the Sky.
1: I, I love that song, and, and uh, remind me, um, I'm supposed to name what number it came in on because it's on my list. Yeah, Wait, where'd you have it? On th- It's 13 on my list, Smoke the Sky. Oh, wow. Very heavy crunchy killer fucking song karabi fucking screaming his ass off that song just fucking rules and uh, it's probably the heaviest fastest song on the album that's what I think
3: Ian.
2: uh smoke the sky uh, I tell you what I loved motley Crue 94 when I when it came out uh expected to hate it you know I'm like what no vince neil get the fuck out of here and then I heard Hooligans Holiday, I was like, oh man, this is fucking awesome, this blows away, the shit I've been hearing from these guys for the last fucking, well since Shout at the Devil. Um, but I, I gotta t- I've always had a little bit of an issue with the production, I think it's a little bit too clean, it's Bob Rock production, uh, but it is good song play, I mean good songwriting on it, better than what they normally do, uh... I, I think it is the best Tommy Lee ever sounded, and I'm notoriously hard on Tommy Lee, but I think he sounds monstrous on 94. Uh, Smoke the Sky, um, I love it because of the heaviness. I don't think it's it's the best song, but I, I just love that it's heavy Motley Crue again, because they really went, you know, after Shout of the Devil, which is a great metal album. I mean, just a good 80s metal album. It's hard, aggressive. And they just kept getting lighter and weirder. Uh, So this was a good return. I mean, much better Motley Crue uh, with John Karabi than what they were doing with Vince. But I can see where it's polarizing because it's a good album. And people are like, I'm not used to this. (laughs) I'm not used to a good album from Motley Crue. (laughs) Uh, But, you know, I listened to a lot of it recently. And again, like, the production. I, I wish it was a raw production. But... It is better songwriting overall. Smoke the Sky, it's a good track.
1: You know you know what I heard? I, I don't know if you guys heard this. Terrence loves his song, Smoke the Sky. But he thought it was about the chimney at Auschwitz. <laughs> oh, oh, shit. Oh. Oh.
2: Never again. You, you know, Ter- Terrence, used to be, Terrence used to be a Holocaust denier. Now he can't believe it only happened once. True story.
3: True story. All right, Edwin, smoke the sky. Oh, so
4: i got to say what I think of 94 now. Okay, it's complicated. I'll try not to make this long-winded. I don't hate it as much as Johnny, but I don't like it as much as everyone else talking here. Uh, I used to like it more. Now uh, I listen to it. My biggest issue is it just shouldn't be called Motley Crue. It's just, you know, with the exception of uh, a few songs. Hooligans Holiday, I love. I think that's a great song. But the rest of it... It's just them. It's kind of the beginning of Nicky and Tommy's thing of jumping on trends, you know, and even though they're doing it better here than they will do later on, it's definitely them being kind of douchey and like kind of denying the kind of band they were and, you know, doing this whole other thing. But this song, it's all right. It's one of the better tracks on the album. Not one of my favorites, but it's heavier. You know, it's cool. I mean, I don't know. I kind of what Ian was saying. One of my issues a big issue with this album is the production. It just, it's, it sounds very cut and paste to me. It sounds like something created on a computer, you know? It, it, sounds, it doesn't sound like a band as much as musicians coming in, working with a producer, and trying to calculate an album that would sound right in the mid-90s. It sounds very calculated to me. And there are albums that I think before this that are shittier objectively, song-wise. I mean, I can hear this objectively, like, these are some of the song- strongest songs since, like, Shadow of the Devil, but it doesn't sound like a band. I almost rather... I prefer the earlier albums that sound like a shitty band playing, but they sound like a band still. Like, it just sounds very calculated to me. And even this song, it's heavy, but it sounds like kind of a mathematical heaviness to me. It doesn't sound like a real band. It doesn't sound like even, like, I don't know, just... It's alright, but... You know, it ain't Pantera, you know. It just, it doesn't sound like a band. It sounds like contrived heaviness to me. So, it, it wouldn't make my top 25. That's all I'll say.
0: Logan. I mean, it's John Karabi and the Three Skids. I mean, it's, to, to me, Karabi's like glorified Jizzy Pearl. I mean, it, the whole album for me, I can basically sum up, as meh. Just, it's, it's meh. It's just... And it's not that it's... There's definitely Motley Crue albums that are worse than this. I mean, the songs just... it's The songs don't do any do anything for me because on a personal level, I had no connection to it. Couldn't connect with this album. Couldn't connect to the music. I mean, I was young, dumb, full of calm at the time this came out. You know what I mean? Probably still am. But um, I just, you know, heartbroken about Vince leaving the band. It was my favorite band at the time. I wanted nothing to do with it. And I've never really... I've tried to listen to it, but just I've never really got past it. I hey, just, I, man, I don't
1: see. Hey, hey, Johnny, admit it. You don't like it because John Carabi never beat up women in front of Nicolas Cage.
0: I, I do have a soft spot for the <laughs> vibe between <laughs> Vince and Nicolas Cage. I mean, yeah. I, 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 I can't deny that. All right, is
3: that, is that, Johnny? are you done smashing 94? Oh, I'm, I'm for this song. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Yeah, I got a few more on the list. Oh, so, so yeah. real quick, I'll,
3: before I put my two cents in, a lot of people out there are probably saying, "Well, if two of the four, two of the guys that didn't that voted on this don't even like it, how did it make the list?" Uh, to rewind a little bit, this one we did a little bit different than Van Halen. I brought in some of the uh, the all timers, the the Hall of Famers from the Rock and Metal Combat podcast. Web or F Facebook page. So here's who voted. It was obviously, you know, the group of us, but we also brought in Charlie Hill, Mick Watkins, Samuel Wetz, Matt Wellersdick, and Stephen Kirsch on this. So the list was made up from all of our top 40s, and that's those guys all voted for this song. Um, Mick had it on his list, Matt had it on his list, Charlie had it on his list, Sam had it on his list, and then I did too. I had it number 17. Just this album in general, I absolutely love this album. And I've heard a couple of people say they hate the production. I think the production of this album is phenomenal. I agree. I, I love the wall of, wall of guitar sound that they have in it.
1: Those Tommy drums, Lee, man.
3: Tommy Lee has never sounded better. In fact, I'll go a step further and not just say Tommy Lee. I think this is literally one of the best drum albums in the history of rock. I agree. Just, the sound that, that Bob Rock got from Tommy Lee in this album is just insane. And it, and it's every song. And there's a couple in particular that we might talk about later, but it, it just sounds huge. And then on top of that, I, I love the second guitar being in there and a thicker guitar sound. And really, you know, for this album gets bashed because people perceived it as this, like, you know, Motley Crue trying to be grunge. That, that's not what I hear at all. I don't hear it either. I hear a heavy Aerosmith on this album, and if you ever listen to to Nikki Six, as much as I think he's a fraud and a douche, uh, he has always praised old Aerosmith. He loves Aerosmith. Like, I think at one point I heard him say that Get Your Wings is his favorite album of all time. So this is a guy heavily influenced by Aerosmith, and then I, I know most people don't listen to Karabi interviews, but I've heard enough Karabi interviews in the past. Karabi was a big 70s rock guy. He was not a like glam rock guy or anything. His inspirations came from seventies hard rock, and to me, this song is a perfect example. This song just sounds like a beefed up, thicker guitar sound of seventies Aerosmith song, you know, with, well, with the slide guitar it, it, and and that. It, it's just it's it's bluesy rock beefed up. Um, if, and it's, if you read it, the heroin diaries, Nikki Six says he wrote seventies Aerosmith, so <laughs> that
2: makes sense.
3: <laughs> And the bridge in the middle of this song is just heavy as fuck and cool as hell. Um, it'll be playing as we're talking about this, so I'm, I'm sure people can, can listen in if they don't know the song. But I, I love this song. I love the whole album. It's my second favorite crew album right behind Shout, and it's it's neck and neck for me. I mean, it's not even that big a difference for me between Shout and, and 94. I, I just love everything about the album. Same
2: if it's here. not your first or second favorite Motley Crew album, your name is Johnny Vogan.
3: well speaking speaking of Johnny I'm gonna let Johnny kick off number 24 and at number 24 is our first entry from the steaming pile of shit that is girls 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 and it is the title track girls 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 Vogan
0: when I hear this song um my heart soars and I feel like Kate Winslet, uh, Winslet on the on the Titanic. Just, it's amazing. I and mean, this is the song. This is the song that got me into to music. And I just remember. I, I've told this story before. I remember it was like '88, so probably eight years old. I had a babysitter that just sat around the house, and smoked cigarettes, and watched MTV all day. And she was hot too. That, yeah, and I remember hot. this video coming on and watching the crew go in there into that strip club. And Tommy Lee bebopping people on the heads and throwing the switchblade into the into the table and the crew just take over the strip club. And um, I just, I shared it the other day in honor of National Women's Day. Um, yep. The uncensored version too, just in honor. Uh, so it's just, uh, I love the song. Um, I like the whole 88 era strip club culture of the time. I mean, I just think it's, it's a cool it's a cool song definitely was somewhere on my list i could tell you that in the top 25 um probably in mid between 10 and 20 so you had it i had it where number nine yes um so i'm a big fan love the song the album you know obviously it's actually the first it's the first tape i ever went to the store in ames I remember going to Ames, and I remember buying this cassette. It's the first cassette I ever bought um, myself. Uh, So, you know, there's some meaning for me there. Has it aged well? Not particularly. I mean, I'd say I like probably half the album. Half of it's probably not great at all. But uh, that's my take. So who's next? Ian. Oh,
2: boy. Uh, I remember being all excited for this album. Because, uh, you know, I was dumb And, uh, you know, <laughs> heard this song I liked it at the time Motley Crew is just not age well for me But I'm not going to lie You know, at the time this came out I was like, yeah, Motley Crew." You know But this song I Another one I never need to hear again And it's very derivative of a song That came out, I think, probably about a year before Um from the Terrence Rearn experience, it was called "Jews, Jews, Jews." It was, it was like "Jews, Jews, Jews," controlling all the media, rape, and kids at pizza stores. Jews, Jews, Jews. Wow. Uh, which, which, you know, had more of a punk rock feel. Uh, but uh, yeah, yeah. What, what a horrible album! I remember getting all excited for this, and and I was really let even. You know, when I was like fucking thirteen or fourteen, when this shit came out, even then I knew I was like, "Ooh, this ain't that good."
0: So, uh, Bad Boy Book is not on your list. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that bad is
2: bad. Oh is uh, uh, yeah, bad no, this, this, horrible. This is just, you know, I can see. Yeah, yes, it's catchy. I can, I can see why people like it. Why. I, I do miss the days when you would hear this at a strip club, you know, rather than uh, than rap. Uh, but it's it's just not that good. It hasn't aged well. Motley Crue has not aged well uh, as a whole. I listened I listened to "Shout at the Devil" before this episode, and I was like, "God damn, this is a good album." You must have like, looked at Vince
0: for the episode too before you said uh, they hadn't
2: aged well. Th- this is timeless shit, but man, the rest of Motley Crue. I, I, I just think I ask more of what I listen to now. <laughs> you know, maybe it's because I'm getting older and I know I don't have much time left. You know, I'm like, I'm only going to listen to good shit. I'm not going to give shit a pass just because I liked it back then. And and this is one of those, I never need to hear it again. But I knew it was going to be on the list. But th- you might as well play Pour Some Sugar on Me. Because I, I, it's about the same as Girls, Girls, Girls. That's about yeah. it.
3: Yeah, it's, I'll take it from there. I I think this song is just fucking awful. Um, And and honestly, I I never really loved it. You know, when I was, uh, you know, 14 years old, did I think it was okay? Sure. You know, was the video kind of cool when you're that age? Sure. But I I never loved the the song, and and the whole album is just horrible. Yeah. just I mean as bad as it gets for any kind of major artist at the time that actually was selling something um, and it's you know it's a gimmick song and, and in general I, I just can't stand gimmick songs it's it's a total you know gimmick song they wrote it to get played at strip bars I mean it worked and and another thing like I think very weird I think mixed guitar tone on girls 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 is fucking terrible and it's it's weird that it would go backwards because, like, you go back to Shout. I love his guitar tone. But it, it to me, for some reason, it got almost progressively worse. And you had, you know, for the, at least the next couple albums, the same producer. I don't know how you could make a, you, you know, continue to make his guitar tone worse.
0: It's, it's because of Jeff Workman. And when we're, Tom Wehrman has even said in many... In many interviews, that he didn't pay that much attention to "Shout at the Devil" because they weren't a, they weren't a big thing at the time, and there were no hits on "Shout" and Work and and Worman was big on you know you know A and R you know pop hits you know getting pop hits on the radio. So uh, there was an engineer that worked on "Shout at the Devil" named Jeff Workman who really had more to do with the sound of the album than uh, than Worman. and they didn't they did not get along at all. And and after "Shout at the Devil." He was gone, and that's why you, yeah, that you saw sense. the trend. You saw
3: that, that makes sense. But getting back to what Ian was saying, you know, I'm the same kind of way. And Ian said something in the Van Halen episode about Kiss, and he said they're a training bra, and I think it was a great analogy. And Motley Crue was, was one of those bands for me. Um, you know, at the age I was at, you know, they're you know, I bought Shout at the Devil in 1984. I was 12 years old. Um, and they they were they were death that album and Out of the Cellar were big kind of albums that turned the direction of what I was listening to. Um, up to that point, you know, I had been like Cheap Trick, Van Halen, Beatles, um, and then in the early '80s, I was like Billy Squire and Ario, Speedwagon, and Sticks, and and a bunch of that stuff. And when I heard out of the, I actually heard out of the cellar first, believe it or not. But I bought that first, and then right after that, I bought Shout, and that and you t- better not hate it, you son of a bitch. And that turned me into a, a total metal metalhead. Um, <laughs> but it, 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 you know, they they played a significant role in kind of my path of music. But you know, when I look back now and listen to a lot of their stuff now. It, it you know it doesn't have that same staying power that a lot of the other stuff that you know I was listening to a, a, at that time beyond shout and and, and ninety four. So it, it's similar for me to what Ian's saying, but this song is is a uh, it's just a gimmick song and it's it's pretty stupid. Um, Ralph, uh,
1: I I'll never forget the first time I heard girls 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 uh, that after the first listen I said I never need to hear this again. <laughs> it's fucking shit but you know what it does appeal to males that grow up fantasizing they can be uh kate winslet from titanic i, I get that <laughs> part. i get that so it, 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 you know it it appeals to the fruity guys um i think this song is fucking boring i, I got a funny story about because i was thinking of this right now and i forgot about this when i met i met alice cooper uh when he opened for motley Crue. i did the little meet and greet i actually won a meet and greet where I even threw balloons on stage with Alice and I'm back there with Alice talking to him and I'm we're almost done like I'm already done with him he's talking to the other people and I hear the roar of the crowd and I'm like ah oh, shit man Motley Crue story I gotta go and then I'm thinking but I don't want to leave I mean, there's Alice right here I don't want to god damn it and then they go into girls 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 I'm like oh thank god I can hang out <laughs> true story I'm not, I'm not even making a joke I go oh they're opening up with girls 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 I'll stick around back here And sure enough, then when I was done, I went uh, to to see Motley Crue. But, um, yeah, dude, this song is so disappointing and so... And and just the way the the chorus, like, Oh, my God, shoot me now, man. This shit is fucking terrible, you know? I said earlier today on Facebook, man, if I hear Born to Be Wild one more time, I'm going to punch somebody. I feel the same way about Girls, Girls, Girls. I fucking hate this song. I really do. And... (laughs) And that's what I think.
4: Edwin? Uh, I I don't hate it. I don't love it. Uh, where did I put this on the list? 26. 26, okay. This is the thing. I'm, I kind of, in some ways, it's like the opposite. This was a song I actually, for whatever weird re- reason, I didn't like when I was younger. When I uh, got into Motley Crue and I finally got this like cassette... I remember being disappointed in it. I loved uh, Wild Side. I thought that song's awesome, and I still do, actually. Uh, But I remember thinking this song was kind of weak. I thought the video was hot, you know, I liked the chicks and all. But uh, this song I thought was weak. I didn't really like it. But I don't know, it's kind of grown on me. I mean, even though it's it's funny because it's kind of a weaker Elvis song, too. Elvis has a song, Girls, 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 from that movie. It's not one of his best songs, but, you know, it's all right. And this, I mean, once we start getting into the mid twenties with Motley Crue, it's like you know, is the song just all right? Do you kind of remember the the melody and stuff? And 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 I was like, you know, this song's like I remember its melody and it's it's kind of all right and. It's, to me, it's aged a little bit better, but maybe because I didn't really like it so much when I was younger. Like, I didn't actually listen to it so much when I was younger. So now it's just like, it, from that album, which I do think is their weakest album from the 80s, it's like it's one of the better songs from that album. Uh, it's not great, but it's all right. It's kind of catchy. You know, I remember what the chorus sounds like. So that's why it made my top 30.
1: It's catchy like AIDS! <laughs>
4: It's like this would be top tier poison. Like this is what I think. Like well, a top tier, top tier poison is like I remember what the chorus sounds like.
3: Way to set the bar real high. <laughs> 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 yeah. I also, it's, this is one of the best songs on an unbelievably atrocious album.
1: It's it's not it's not that good. I'm not gonna lie. Hey,
3: Girls,
4: you know you know this really is.
1: When they recorded this song, they were thinking of poison. They go, "We got to do a song like top tier poison." And that's how that's how Mick Mars got all fucked up because they threw him down there, threw him down a flight of steps during the guitar solo. <laughs>
2: you know, I, I got a theory that you know Mick Mars doesn't even have a disease. He's just, you know, as time goes on, he gets more and more embarrassed about what he's playing, so he bends over so nobody can see his fucking face. Yeah. <laughs> They're like, we we, got to come up with a reason to justify Kick Tracy opening up for us. (laughs) It's really good for a Kick Tracy song.
3: Are we done with Girls, Girls, Girls?
1: (laughs) Yes, please.
3: (laughs) (laughs) All right, number 23. I will start this one off. This is another one from uh, 94, and it's uh, Welcome to the Numb. Um, again, this this song to me is another one that uh, I had this very high. where the heck did I? I had this at number six. Uh, one of my favorites from that album. I- again, it's 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 really heavy Aerosmith with, with that you know slide riff. is just killer with the great du- um, dump drum sound. And uh, I always I laugh my ass off when we were when I was going through. Uh, Songs for this, I listened to a lot of the old episodes and I listened to the uh, Too Fast for Love episode. and You guys have that thing where you're doing the cowbell thing, and this <laughs> song actually has cowbell in it and It's a very cool part of the song where they go into a little breakdown, and uh, Karabi goes, Welcome to the Numb Fools, and, and then a really heavy cowbell comes in right there, but a very cool part of the song. Uh, again I mean it's, it's, it's that whole album to me has, has it just a cool tone to it and, and scream 70's Aerosmith and I, I fucking love 70's Aerosmith so to me just a killer tune absolutely love it uh, Ian what do you think about Welcome to the Numb oh I love it
2: I love it great song different uh, I, I mean the, the whole 94 album to me doesn't sound like Motley Crue and that's probably why I like it but uh, <laughs> It's definitely its own beast. I, I do agree. It should have been called Motley Crew. It should have been called like Better Than Motley Crew. Um, it should have been but, called Motley
1: Jews.
0: Yeah. Jews, Jews, Jews. You know, you know,
1: you know, Ian. That that Terrence version of Jews, Jews, Jews. That's the that's the that's the censored version. <laughs> the other one, the other one was uh, not Jews, 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 but that word that starts with a K.
2: Kikes, kikes, kikes. In Uh, the oven, then awesome bitch,
1: yeah.
0: Pissing off Palestine. Kikes, kikes, kikes.
1: No (laughs) one cares.
2: Welcome to the numb. Yeah, this was written about Andrew Jacobs, asshole. Uh, (laughs) It's blown out by his wife. Yeah, no, no, it's a, it's a good song. <laughs> this is a good one. I'm happy to see this make uh, the upper echelon uh, much better
3: than something like Girls, Girls, Girls. Just better written song. It sounds huge. Good track. Like I like that. No, shout out to uh, the guys who voted on this list who aren't on with us. Uh, uh, Weller's Dick had it at 31. Charlie Hill had it at 39. Stephen Kirsch had it at 10 and Samuel Wetz had it at 19, and Ian, you had it at 26.
2: Well, well, it made the top 25. Stephen Kirsch voted for it, so there's your proof. Jews do run the media.
3: And, the podcast. <laughs> and I'll drink for that. Logan, do we even need you to go on that before song, or we just play a tape? I want
4: to hear what Johnny
0: has to say about this. Um, well, here's my take, and that is that the, be- the best thing John... Steven Piercy, I mean, he needs an- he needs a rhythm guitarist. And John should go back because it's the best thing he's ever done is play rhythm guitar and rap. <laughs> so that's all I have to say about it. <laughs> all
4: right. Edwin. Uh, this song I used to like... I mean, I used to have a higher opinion about the 94 album. You know, when I first heard it, which... You know, I, I didn't buy it back in 94. Uh, but I got it like a few years later. And I got really into it for a period. and But it, I don't know, this song has an aged well. Like, yeah, technically, I can hear this is a better song than a lot of shit they did, like in the late 80s. Uh, but, you know, it's not always about, like, what's the best, like mathematically or scientifically. It's just, like, about what you connect with. And for whatever reason, I don't really connect much with this song now. It's all right, it's got, like, a decent bass line. I can hear it, it's, like, a decent song. But, eh. You know, it, it just doesn't do much for me. I don't know why. I might feel uh, differently in a year or two from it, now. It
2: sounds like parents. It's because of the chorus. He's like, Jew, what you want a Jew to Jew? <laughs> I don't me? know. It, it,
4: it just sounds very kind of, I don't know, mid-90s, <laughs> and it, it, it's a little contrived. I don't know. It's something about it. It doesn't sound like rock and roll to me. It's alright. I don't hate it, but it's not, like, something that excites me uh, about, you know. I mean, I'd rather hear, like, sleazy on the strip guitar tones like from early 80s Motley Crue than anything like from this. <laughs> that's just me. It's just it doesn't it doesn't really connect with me. Although I can hear objectively that it's a well constructed song.
3: Good enough. Ralph
1: Well this one made number seven on my list. Nice. Oh. And it's it's my second favorite off the album, so there's another one that's even higher on the list. I think this album Smoke, it was my favorite initially when I first got the album and this is kind of like a D track because they never played it live, and uh, but I I think this 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 song's phenomenal. I made a killer video for it too, and uh, it's oh, just. I've never seen
3: it, it to check that out.
1: Yeah, it's, it's a badass video I made. Um, anyway, so yeah, it's got that stinky fucked up groove to it, and uh, it's and I love those those backing vocals that come in. Listen, it's just unique awesome and something you would never hear molly crew do so uh, so a lot of people like you know they should have called themselves something other than molly crew yeah i mean they they should have because this doesn't sound like molly crew this sounds like something like superior you know it's just a really well constructed killer groove to it killer drums killer vocal harmonies i think this song absolutely smokes it is my number seven
3: Yes, sir. And speaking of live, i just throw this in there. I knew it would speak about it at some point. But, uh, Karabi back, I want to say it was probably almost six, seven years ago now. He did not even a tour. He did probably, I don't know, a dozen shows around the country where he took out a killer fucking band with him. Um, it's actually most of the guys that made up the Gene Simmons band and later the Ace Fraley band, um... But he went out and toured and did this entire album start to finish and me and a bunch of my buddies up in new york went to it at this dive bar out in uh in long island new york and i was excited going into the show but i was also a little skeptical because i just didn't know you know john karabi with you know how good a band is he going to have you know you see so many you go to any of these like festivals where you see some of these bands that all that's left is the lead singer and they have a band with them usually that band is trash and, and yeah, it's
2: just... and how is the bass player gonna stand up to Nikki Six? <laughs>
3: so yeah, but I will say this it's one of the best shows I've seen in the last decade and his band fucking killed it they were incredible um he had two guitarists with him and then on certain songs he would play a third guitar so they had that thick sound that is on this album for the guitars and just phenomenal. Incredible show and so cool to see in a small place. There's probably a couple hundred people there um, but a, a great show and uh, you know, to hear this album live for the first time after 25 fucking years was really fucking cool.
1: I heard that John Karabi <laughs> uh, when he formed that lineup to make it sound very authentic he got a guy with cerebral palsy to play bass.
3: <laughs> uh, Nick, he, he i said,
1: actually i have that uh, he released it i have the vinyl i had him sign it too uh he released the whole that 94 album his son was on drums on that album
3: hey his son was incredible yeah incredible. he's great incredible. he's great yeah if, if if anybody out there that likes the 94 album uh, go look for the CD of uh, Karabi I think it's just called Live '94. Yeah. yeah, you can't get the vinyl. The vinyl sold out really quick. Yeah, my brother got the vinyl, which is really cool. I mean, they did a yeah. real nice like gatefold on it and everything. Yeah. And the sound is terrific. I didn't get the vinyl, unfortunately, but um, I have the, I have it on uh, on CD. It's it's re- if you like '94, go out and get it. It's yeah, really you'll,
1: fun lo- you'll it's,
3: love it. It's cool to hear the live
1: version. And they do a they do a bonus track, "100,000 Miles yeah. Away." Yep.
3: Yeah. Yeah, really cool show. All right, to number twenty-two, and we're gonna let uh, Johnny lead us into this one from uh, our first entry from their debut, "Too Fast for Love," "Starry Eyes," Johnny Bogan.
0: All right, well, I already got a major ball, busting after the "Too Fast for Love" because uh, I'll be now be prepared to take it again. But this is like uh, definitely a top three all-time crew song for me. I love "Starry Eyes." Um, my favorite song on "Too Fast for Love." Um, I, I think it's a great track. I think it's got a great rhythm. Uh, I love the chunky guitars. I love the lyrics. Vince's vocals great. Um, I think uh, it's got a solo to it. Um, very similar to the PCR action solo, which is just absolutely killer at the end of the song. And uh, Vince does some uh, great uh. His version of the David Lee Roth, you know, screams and wails, you know, at the end uh, of that solo. Um, big fan of Starry Eyes. Big fan of Too Fast for Love. Love the song. Starry Eyes. Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. Here we go.
2: Motley, <laughs> Motley Jew. Oh God. <laughs> <laughs> this, uh, uh, mm-hmm. I don't, this, this is just some. I don't know. I would have gave it a pass a long time ago when I got this from Columbia House, but listening to it now, nah, nah, it doesn't do it for me. And, you know, this is the type of shit, when I see top 25 and this makes it, I'm like, who who fucking voted on this shit? And then then Terrence reminded me that the Jews control the media, so I was like, oh, I guess Stephen Kirsch, uh, (laughs) like, starry eyes. Yeah, not a fan.
3: <laughs> Here's who is most responsible. Mick Watkins had it at 10, Charlie Hill had it at 6, and Vogan had it at 4.
0: Whoa! There you it's too it. low. I made a mistake. Should be higher. Three or two. All right. Uh, Ralph, starry eyes. No, no,
1: thank you. It didn't make even my honorary <laughs> mentions. I don't like it. I think this album fucking sucks, and... Uh, I heard this is like a Nostradamus-type song that when they wrote, because uh, when they wrote this song, Tommy Lee was envisioning in the future him beating up a blonde with big tits <laughs> holding a baby. <laughs> and she saw stars when he punched her eyes. That's right. Well, you know, I have one good thing to say about Sorry eyes. At least it ain't come on and dance. <laughs> come on but and dance. Come that, on fucking, that song fucking baffles me.
3: Wait a minute, Ralph. You have to do that little, like, uh, I don't even know what you would call it. But...
2: <laughs>
3: <laughs> when I list, re-listened to the Too Fast for Love episode, I was pissing in my pants <laughs> listening to you do that. <laughs>
1: it's true, though. It's like, you listen to that, you're like, what the fuck, man? Seriously. <laughs> Johnny, you need to get on medication. bro. <laughs>
0: I'll
3: take this I'll take this next and I'll tell you I like this song I like this song a lot um I had it at number nineteen i th- there's something about too fast for love that I just uh, it's a it's a bizarre weird quirky album but I love it i mean song like come on and dance do I really go out of my way to listen to it no but if it comes on on like a mix or something like that there's still something even to that goofy ass song that I like the 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 trashy production of this album the I love mixed guitar tone on this album it's so unique it's so different it's so I you know I use the word quirky over and over again with this album but like I, it, it's yeah because
2: you're thinking of the retarded kid from Life Goes On
3: who Terrence no quirky all oh, quirky! Huh? Get them confused. And there's also <laughs> cowbell in, the, in this song. Um, and and this song to me, there's it, it's a little bit. Uh, there's a lot of British glam on this album, and and I hear that on on this song. And I and I like a lot of that shit. Um, so I, again, it's not you know top ten song for me, but it's it's a cool, different kind of mid tempo song on a really weird album that I just love the vibe of that album. I love the whole sound of that album.
1: I highly recommend you start doing math.
3: <laughs> Edwin, what do you think about Starry Eyes? Well,
4: I will back up Ryan and Johnny here. I, I don't love it quite as much as Johnny. Uh, most mortals don't. But, <laughs> but I I like it. I, it was in my top 20 or 30, wasn't it? I forget exactly where it was. 19. 19? There you go. Just, you know. Uh, I, I this is the thing about I, I'm a too fast guy. That's easily, easily my second favorite Motley Crue album. Yeah, Shouts my favorite, like most people. But I this, you know, unlike like the late '80s like hair metal and glam metal, this is like there's something uh like you were saying, Ryan quirky about it. It's like raw and natural and doesn't sound you know it sounds like a band that was influenced by a lot of 70s rock and early glam rock from the early 70s. And they're finding themselves, and it's loose and kind of organic in a way that you wouldn't hear Motley Crue even just a few years later sound. You know, and Starry Eyes is a song like that. You would never hear them do a song like that. And maybe some people think that's a good thing. But, I I mean, it's just kind of a loose kind of... Daisy going through the Sunset Strip kind of fucked up late at night song and there's kind of a drunken kind of beauty to it that I like I like the song, I think it has a, you know, it sounds more legit and real than a lot of shit that they did later and uh, I think it's a cool song I like it, and, and the Mick Morris guitar tone, you know, it's great I think for, I would even say into Theater of Pain a bit for the first three albums, Mick had this great tone, and you don't hear that tone again, including in the 94 album, which is one of my another big issue I have with it. Yeah, you could say the guitars sound beefier, but they don't have that kind of tone, that kind of sunset strip tone that Mick had in his guitar work in the early 70s. Where the I mean early '80s, where it was kind of like metal and punk kind of mixed together, and I don't know, I, I like the shit. No, it's it
3: totally different guitar sound. Totally.
4: Yeah, I, I love that. Early, I mean, to obviously, shout to me is like that's the one of the great guitar tones of all time is on that album, and you hear it, and you know, maybe not as much as like on some of the best tracks on this album, like Live Wire like Piece of the Action, but even on a song like this, it has a bit of that guitar tone. It's got a, a kind of loose, dreamy quality to it uh, that you wouldn't have ever from a Motley Crue song ever again. And I dig the song. I think it's a cool song. Well,
1: the, the moral of the story is Edwin, Ryan, and Johnny like this song. This is why uh, Ian and I are the podcast kings. <laughs> this is why you're mommy and daddy. <laughs>
3: All right, number. we're moving on to number 21, and I'm going to let Ian kick this off. And it's from an album that he hates, but a song he really loves. And it's the title track, Too Fast for Love, Too Fast for Love.
2: Oh, yeah. Yeah. Now, now this is one where I I love mixed tone. I I love that riff. There's just something like smoke on the water-ish about it. It's so fucking simple, yet so effective. And definitely the standout track on that album. Uh, this 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 is like good Motley Crue that you would never hear after '84 when Mick Mars was '84. Uh, uh, awesome, awesome. Now, now this is one like you know you play this and people are like, yeah, that you know Motley Crue's good, you know, and then you play the rest of their catalog and like, uh, uh. I dig it, I love it. Uh, this should be much. Much higher on the list.
3: You had it at number four.
2: Yeah. Oh well, because it it is. I mean, for you know that Molly Crew is like a fucking uh, a midget nightclub. The bar is set way fucking low. (laughs) You know, this should be much fucking higher. Just for that riff alone, this should be top fucking five Molly Crew songs. And I looked at the list once when you sent it to me, and I fucking threw up in my mouth. I was like, oh, God, this, this is going to be a fun fucking episode. How this is uh, not higher, I'll never know. But uh, I concur. It is a great fucking song. I love it.
3: All right, Edwin, you added at number 22.
4: Yeah, I, I mean, I, I love it. Everything Ian said. I mean, I'm not as hard as some of their other shit, obviously, as he is. But yeah, you talked to Ryan. You talked about like the Aerosmith influence. I hear a lot of Aerosmith in this song. Uh, are we talking about? We're talking about the version though, like the you fit like the electro version that cuts off the intro. Yeah, yeah. I actually I like the intro. I don't know why they cut it off because I think it makes That's when the when it, intro yeah yeah when it kicks in. I think it kicks in. It like brings out the riff even more with that intro. So I don't know why they did that
3: that little singing part, like when you're young and crazy. And yeah,
4: I like it. I think it kind of sets it up, and then when it kicks in, it's like even more rocking, so uh, I like it. When I recreated this on my like my computer, I, I do like the the, le- the leather records version, so yeah, uh, yeah I keep that version, but uh, yeah, this is a great song. It's catchy. I love the tone. It's sleazy, hard rock on the border of heavy metal. I, I love it. It's a great song. It's catchy. This is I wish they did more shit like this in the future. It was, it's a great song.
2: I, I'll tell you what, though. If I hear one more person say it sounds like 70s Aerosmith, I'm going to title this episode, People Who Hate 70s
3: Aerosmith. <laughs> 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 well, Ralph, you're up. Too fast for love.
1: Uh, I take back what I said about me and ENBM Podcast Kings because this didn't even make my honorary mention. Fuck this song. Next. <laughs> wow. wow. I'll, say, I'll say one good thing about the whole the whole two fives for love album those guitar solos even on come on and dance are awesome mick Mars is awesome on the whole fucking album but, he is. The, song, but the songs fall flat with me but I, I have i have like two three two three um Fast for love songs on my list
3: he, he, you can hear how far ahead of the rest of the band he was at that point. yeah he, he oh yeah a long time he's he's absolutely the best guy and he's Technically, he's always, well, I think, I, I love Tommy, but it's not hard to be better than Nicky, but uh, he, he really kills it on yeah,
1: I, I wish Mick would have stayed that way. I mean, I, the, the use of his slide, starting with theater pain, annoyed the piss out of me. Yeah. I like when he ripped, yeah. like he, yeah. it he, he was on this And like, you know, uh, Too Young to Fall in Love, that solo, that ripping, man. He didn't really do it much later on.
3: No.
2: Yeah. Well, you know, a lot of people think it's a slide, but he's actually just falling asleep while playing this garbage. So his hands just went down (laughs) the fucking
0: tongue. Yeah, that's true. Vogan, Too Fast for Love. Uh, I I dig it. You know, I I don't know that anyone was expecting any any different answer than that, but (laughs) I I love Too Fast for Love. Uh, I I agree with what's been said before. I love the the chorus, the gang vocal, mixed riff. you know, great song. Um, definitely, definitely agree that it's definitely one of the better cruise songs. So I got, Can move on.
3: Yeah, my take. I love the song. Um, I I had this one pretty high. I had a number twenty, and uh, love the chugging drums. Um, they, there's like kind of a signature Tommy thing that gets introduced here, and these little drum fills in the breaks where he does like the hits the cymbal and real. Quickly catches the symbol. That's a very Tommy Lee kind of signature thing. Um, and again, the, the Mick Mars guitar tone is just so cool and so unique. I I don't know if I've ever heard a guitar tone a guitar tone like that on on any other album. It's just so bizarre. But it's it's what gives this album charm to me. Um, this was really cool on the first reunion tour they did. The the Carnival. What was the what was that reunion? Carnival
1: of Sins, I
0: think. Yeah. yeah. Re- they, Red White and Crew, that ended up being Carnival of Sins DVD, I think.
3: Yeah. Um, I saw the first show of that. And that was a good tour, actually. And, and it brings me to one point that drives me fucking insane about this band. And, and why, as the years have gone on, they just far for, fall further and further down like my favorite bands list. Is this tour was the last time that they actually had a pretty cool, imaginative, and deep set list. Where they actually... Agreed. They played like 20 songs and it wasn't like, I mean, I went to the the farewell tour. They played literally like 14 songs. A band that's been around for 40 years plays 14 songs. And I think four or five of them were covers. So they literally on that last tour played like nine original songs. and. But it it could have been worse. They could have played 10 original songs. (laughs) <laughs> they they played they play two from Saints of Los Angeles and two from Shout of the Devil. I'm like, what the fuck yeah. are you doing? Like, their set lists have, have gotten worse and worse and worse and so predictable and so fucking just punching a fucking time clock. It's so embarrassing when you have a band that's been around for that long that has so little integrity, so little, like, give a shit about... They're like hardcore, diehard fans that don't just want to hear fucking girls, girls, girls and, and the fucking greatest hits and, and and just smoking in the boys room.
0: It's fucking ridiculous. Are what, we talking about
3: Kiss or Motley crew
0: <laughs> <laughs> that, that Red, White and Crew tour, they, they played Red Hot. They played 10 Seconds for Love. They played on with the show. They played Louder yes. Than Hell. Yes. That was great. And, great. And that over was great because of it.
3: And they played a long set look at the set list for the last like 10 years they did they were touring they play 14 songs a night they play an hour and like 25 minute set um
1: well, well you know you, what, what was, how,
3: how many songs was on the farewell tour I, I think they played 14 songs well here's
1: something you don't put into account they played 14 songs but they sang about four songs
3: <laughs> He's, he, is, he is an absolute disgrace. I mean, he's just awful. <laughs> Which there brings was us more to this. hits. <laughs> there was more hits at
2: Tommy Lee's house on Father's Day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: from his son.
3: Jesus Christ. Has everybody talked about this one? Yeah, yeah. I did. Yeah. All right, going into the top 20. I'm going to let Edwin oh. kick this off. He mm-hmm. Edwin had this pretty high on his list. Where do you have it? It's seventeen from the first entry from uh, the steaming pile of shit that is fe- that is Dr. Feelgood. It's uh, kickstart My Heart.
4: Yeah, okay, this song. Uh, I, I don't really like need to listen to the song ever. Uh, it's very played out for me, but I can hear objectively that it's one of their best songs. Uh, I, I some of you might take issue with this. But it's when I I hear this, and I was trying to be very objective with this. list, Ryan, <laughs> I was like, this this is a very memorable song. It's a very well constructed song. I remember thinking it back in the day. And this was the album that I got into a Motley Crue. You know, but uh, this was my first Motley Crue album. But I don't really care so much about nostalgia, but. When I remember that this was a time period when almost every fucking heavy metal band, especially the, the glam metal bands, the second song was always a ballad. And Dr. Feelgood, the second song was this song uh, that was released. Uh, I don't know if you know
1: this. I don't mean to cut you off, but this is a true story. Uh, the reason that Kickstart My Heart was the second single was because they made the fans vote. What's going to oh. be the second single? Oh, is that true? Yeah, 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 I remember oh, that. that. That
4: makes sense. So that's why it wasn't uh, the ballad. <laughs> okay, right. That makes sense. Yeah, I, I didn't know that. I just saw it, like, as the second song. I thought, oh, cool, it's like a rocker. A rocker is the second song. I wasn't used to that. So I thought it was, it was cool. Breaking the mold. Yeah, it was breaking the mold a bit, and I remember thinking that back in the day. You know, I'm in junior high, you know, I'm a little kid, and I'm thinking, like, hey, this is cool. They're The second song. Because even by that point, by 89, the formula was really clear if you were kind of paying attention. Yeah. I was like, oh, wow, the second song's out of ballot. It's a rocker. So I thought that was cool and it had that video, that grainy black and white video. And I still love the breakdown. In a lot of ways, I think this is kind of, and just understand what I'm about to say, because you guys are going to freak out when you say, when I say this. I, I understand, I'm comparing, I'm saying this by Motley Crue standards. By Motley Crue standards, this is their Panama. This is like, (laughs) by Motley Crue standards. (laughs) This is their song that's just the rocker. It's got that breakdown, which is kind of similar to Panama. You know, and Fitz talking about the band. And it's just kind of a, it's a classic late 80s hard rock song. It's fun. It's dumb. If I've had enough beers in me, I can still get into it. If I'm sober, it doesn't really do much for me anymore. But it's that kind of song that if you're drunk enough and it plays, I can hear it. it's one of their better songs. And that's why it broke my top 20. And that's what I think about Kicks, you know, Start Your Heart. It, it's one of their better songs, but it's kind of, you know, it's just a dumb, fun song. It's catchy, it's memorable. So it's got to break their top 20 because Motley Crue doesn't have that too many songs that are going to you know, break my top 20. <laughs> So there you
3: go. Yeah, I'll go next. Uh, I don't hate this song. It's okay. And and for some of the same things you said, Edwin, I mean, I understand why it's kind of a popular FM radio hit. Um, it's kind of like a, a ripoff of Ballroom Blitz, but um, it's, uh, I do like that breakdown in the middle. I think that's the one kind of cool part of the song, um, but didn't make my top 40. It's just, it's okay. It's it's not horrible. It's probably, you know, for this album that I do not like at all, it's probably a top five or six song on the album. But um, I probably only have like two Dr. Feelgood songs in my entire top 40. I just I, I, I don't like the album, but uh, not horrible. It's it's you know, it, it had its place. It's it's definitely, you know, one of their bigger hits. And you know, I think it's a good song. You know, you play before a face off at a hockey game. Um, <laughs> you know it's 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 an arena rock it's arena rock it's it's okay uh Johnny
0: well I'll I'll, I'll give you my take on Keith huh? um <laughs> 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 I, I, I'm I'm a fan of the song it's probably like my my fourth favorite fan uh, fourth favorite song on on Dr. Feelgood um third maybe but uh it needs to be retired and and how did they make this song without pro tools because he cannot sing this song and it sounds so bad live it's just awful it's just it's just total garbage and it must have taken a whole month to record
3: if you're comparing it to Van Halen, it's Van Halen's "Dance the Night Away." It's like the cringy song of the night every night, where you're like, "Why are they still forcing him to sing the
0: song?" Yeah, he, he he can't, he cannot sing the song. It must have. I mean, Werman has said that sometimes they'd get one line out of him a day in the studio, and that was <laughs> back in the that was back in the "Shout at the Devil." When, when I mean now they're asking him to really spit this out, and I mean it must have been a nightmare. I like the song. Um, you know, I, I'm a little little bit. Uh, I like the video. I think the video is a pretty cool video. Sam Kinison's in the video. That, that's cool. But, uh, yeah, a little bit burned out on the song, personally. Yeah, absolutely. Ralph?
1: Uh, Kickstart My Heart is my second favorite song off Dr. Feelgood, and it still didn't even make my honorary mentions. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm serious, man. You know, you stack up all the Dr. Feelgood songs, and it's like, okay, if I have to pick, I guess Kickstart's the second best song but that song sucks. This whole album sucks. And, uh, but, but the, the good thing about it, it's based on a true story when Nikki six died. <laughs> yeah. I'm good at sarcasm. Fuck. Yeah. That's all I got to say
3: about it. Yeah. There's nobody on earth that was more enamored with the idea of themselves having an OD than than Nikki six.
1: And remember kids, Mick Mars came out and said, Nikki six never died. And that, that story, when he said that, was completely, completely taken off the internet because you can't find it anymore. But I swear to you, I read that shit back in like 2000, 2001 when I first got the internet, where Nicky Six came out. I mean, Nick Mars came out and said, Nicky never died. That was bullshit.
3: Complete horseshit. Yep. Uh, Ian, you're last on this one. Oh, boy. <laughs>
2: Thanks. Uh, holy shit. Uh... Yeah, by ugly kid Joe standards, this is the <laughs> Captain cradle. Uh, the, the best part of this fucking song is fucking Stephen Hawking at the end where it's like <laughs> uh, <Hey. God. laughs> I, I, I thought
1: I thought that was Terrence's
2: call. We are going to kick them bitches' asses. <laughs> We got a long way to go, and short sure not get there.
1: <laughs> hey, uh, would you would you call my sister slash wife and tell her to make me some flapjacks?
2: <laughs> oh my god, Th- this fucking song! Like, how only Motley Crue could this song make the top fucking what is twenty?
3: Yeah, uh, here's who you have to blame.
2: Nineteen. Uh... Songs more
3: to go. Stephen Kirsch had it at four. <laughs>
2: okay, maybe Terrence is right.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know, Ian, just <laughs> by you saying that, just by Ian saying that right now, Terrence is going, Hey man, I might be back on the show after all. <laughs>
3: <laughs> all right, Johnny, you're gonna take number 19 first entry from theater of pain use it or lose it
0: yeah uh definitely uh absolutely love this song uh love the love the riff love the uh, lyrics ralph's got an awesome video that oh. i share all the time that uh um and use it or lose it a uh, tremendous song um I, I just love everything about this song definitely stands out on I, I love theater in general you know i'm a fan i think it's a. Uh, if I want to use a rap perspective, it's, a, it's a, a lot of singles and doubles, but they don't strike out too much on theater for me. Um, not a lot of home runs, but this is definitely one of them. Um, uh, I think it's a great song. Um, so, who's next? Ralph. This one made
1: my top ten at number nine, Use It or Lose It. One thing I got to say great about Theater Pain was that tour was phenomenal. They were awesome that night and um, and this was the second song they played that night after Looks That Kill opened the show and uh, I love it. I absolutely love uh, User It or Lose It. It kicks ass.
3: Alright, the Use It or Lose It, Edwin.
1: Uh, great song.
4: Rock. Probably the heaviest song on the album.
3: Fastest. It's, it's rock
4: and it sounds like something that could be on Shout and this song's great and it's like, it's kind of the last time you'll hear kind of True blue, gritty, kind of sleazy sounding Motley Crue, that Mick Mars guitar tone a little bit here and there. And so I, I've grown to like this album. Definitely my third favorite Motley Crue album now. And this song's great. It's one of the best songs on the album, uh, and I'm glad it made the list. It's awesome. It's a rocker. It's good.
3: Yeah, I this song barely just missed my list. It would have been like 41, 42, somewhere there. It was one of the songs that was kind of batting back and forth at the end. But um, I like this song a lot. But this is a good tune. It barely it barely missed my list, but I, I, I like the song. Ian, Use It or Lose It.
2: Oh, God. Are we still talking about Molly Crew? <laughs> damn uh, a- Another one they ripped off from Terrence. Uh, that was originally titled, Lose It or Lose It. They're still stem cells, and God hates the gays. I say, hey, hey. Oh, my God. Gay,
1: gay,
3: gay. <laughs> yeah, Jesus hates the gays.
0: <laughs> Ian's list.
3: Oh, changed your life,
0: Ian. It changed your life. Just yeah, that. and,
2: and, and that's why I'm in the mess I'm in now. Get the juice in. Then you bruise them. <laughs> uh, only only a band is, is shitty as Motley Crue. Can you listen to Theater of say? Yeah, that's when they still had it.
0: <laughs>
2: that, that's when they were still batting a hundred. Everybody's um,
1: saying "Theater Paint" is solid. Yeah, it's a solid piece of shit.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's an okay song for Motley Crue, you know. It, it is. That's it pretty
1: is. good, dude. That that's high yeah, yeah. praise. That's really high part. praise. <laughs> oh, that'll,
3: that'll take us into eighteen, and I know that. You do not like this song, Ian, so I'm going to let you kick it off. And all It's right. the first entry from what I think we all agree is their best album. It's from Shout of the Devil, and it is actually <laughs> a rare co-write early on. Mars and Neil got a co-write on this. Uh, the album, uh, the last song, Danger.
2: Oh, my God. You know, this is the song. This is why I place... Out of the Cellar over Shout of the Devil. And the bright spots on Shout of the Devil, I have to say, are brighter than Out of the Cellar. But I love every song on Out of the Cellar. This is the one song I'm like, mm, God, I. It, it always ends for me at, at, uh, at, I think it's 10 seconds to love than this. I always ended it at 10 seconds to love. You know, this doesn't sound dangerous it doesn't sound ear. Ir- I mean I like the idea of an album that good and that heavy ending with a ballad or, or like a slower temple song but this is not the fucking one it's like ooh this is Hollywood it, like what was it Hollywood in the edge of Sesame Street this isn't dangerous this isn't fucking uh, deep uh, this is a throwaway track I'm surprised I made the album uh, and I'm even more surprised. This made the top 25, but then again, we are talking about fucking Motley Crue. You know, uh, yeah. This one, is a swing and a miss. Swing and a miss. What What do you guys think?
3: We'll go to Edwin next. He had this very high on his list at number 12. I do
4: love the song. I think it's a great song. I think it's a great capture. You know, it's 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 you know. I don't. Maybe it's kind of a ballad. I guess it's just kind of a dark kind of majestic, glam metal song, but you know, for that time early 80s, it's like, it's it's got that vibe, to me it's got that vibe and this is a guy that, you know, I live part time in LA, you know I've hanged out in the rainbow, and to me Danger, it's not so much it's dangerous, I mean, not so much the lyrics, I don't really care so much about the lyrics but in terms of the mood of the music, it does capture that kind of drunk walking around the Sunset Strip late at night kind of vibe to me It, it captures that vibe and I like the song. It's got that atmosphere, and I think it's a cool song. And I thought it was a great way to end the end the album.
3: Ralph,
1: uh, I love it. It's number eighteen on my list. Um, in my opinion, I think this is Vince Staples' best vocal performance on any song he's ever done. Uh, I like it. It's pretty. You know, it's the uh, the ballad, but it's not really a ballad. You know, it's. Uh, it's it's, it's it's a little heavy, you know, and uh, I dig it, man. I really, and I think Vince Neil is the best part of this damn song, and that it's is a, a rarity, party, you know, and uh, I like it. I like Danger. That's what I got to say about it.
0: Vogan. I mean, I agree with Ralph. I, I, I think uh, it's a tremendous song. I mean, I, it's it, it sounds great. <laughs> the production on this is so amazing. Um, Vince sounds great. Um, some of the, the the eerie backing vocals at the beginning of the song. I mean, it's just tremendous. Uh, it's and it's unique too. It's a different. It's a different sounding song. Motley Crue didn't do a lot of songs like this. I mean, I don't know where I put it, but now when we're talking about it now, this is this is. I love this song. Gotta be. I'm revising it and putting it in my top ten for sure. <laughs> if I didn't have it there now. So, Hell yeah, I Johnny! It. I want to.
1: I want to take
3: Johnny on a boat and hold his arms out. <laughs> yes. Some of the notes I wrote down for this is the same exact thing that you guys just said. I said, and and I rip on Vince as much as anybody. Vince absolutely kills it on this song. I mean, this is his best vocal performance. It's so good. Um, Johnny said, "Unique." That's that's another thing. I it's just so different. I don't, I don't even know what you would call this song. It it it, it it's not really a ballad. It's um, it just has a great vibe to it. And again, another thing, Johnny hit on the production. God, this whole album—the sound of this album—is so fucking good. You, you could not have produced this album better than they did. Um, I, I, it just—it's a perfect metal sound. And another thing that was very, admit, what makes this song unique—they use keys heavily on this song, and it kind of reminds me of Ozzy solo early solo album keys. And uh, if you listen to the song. Um, Again, there weren't a lot of keys on Shout um, at all. There weren't a lot of keys on any of their albums, but you know, very just, you know, 80s keyboard sound, but worked perfectly in this really, you know, kind of dark song. Number 17, uh, Johnny, you start this one, uh, the second one from Dr. Feelgood, the title track, Dr. Feelgood.
0: Oh, man, do I love this song. Uh, Just absolutely tremendous. I mean, this was, this I remember, when this video premiered on MTV is being one of the great summers to be a fucking kid, man. I mean, it was just tremendous. I, I remember waiting to see this video and just waiting and waiting. And finally to get to, to watch the premiere of this video and how fucking awesome it was just with the fire. I love the song. It was so heavy. Um, just, just, tr- cool video back then of you know the drug dealer story and uh it was just super cool and and the, the that drum intro as that camera's going down into the tent you know from that chopper cam view it's just tremendous just tremendous uh definitely my favorite song on uh on doc well Probably my favorite song on Doctor Feel Good. Um there's another one I like a lot as well. But um yeah, man, I I, I love this song. Uh and it's aged well in my opinion, too. It's just still a banger, total banger. Yeah, you had it high at number six. Yep. Ralph. It actually made
3: my list. Wow.
1: The The only song I like off this album, and it made my list at number 17. Um, I love the drumming on this. I think it's a really heavy song. This song was premiered before the album came out, so I got excited about the album, took it home, and then said, "Damn, Doctor Phil is a good song." But um, I like it. I, I still like it. I think it tastes, you know, well, and uh, you know, and it's got that it's that drum beat, man, and and it's got kind of that groove, kind of like going back to Welcome to the Numb type of vibe. It's uh, in the same wheelhouse as that song. You know, as much as I dislike the album, I cannot deny The title track deserves to be in my top 25. And it's in my top 20, number 17. Ian. Uh,
2: Yeah, this is by far the best track on on Dr. Feelgood. But once again, derivative of the Terrence Reardon experience, where it was Dr. Schoenstein. Uh. Yeah. He's a hook-nosed Jew doctor out of Hollywood. Uh, (laughs) Oh, man. Fuck Uh, that
1: goddamn Schindler, son of a bitch.
2: (laughs) (laughs) And you better not free him, Schindler. Uh, uh, Yeah, by far, Lightyear is the best track on that album. Uh, Heard this one. I was excited about the new Motley Crew. I was like, wow, this is much better than Girls, Girls, Girls. And like... You know what Ralph said. I went and uh, went home. And the rest of it, I was like, eh, eh, it's another, to me, it's another Girls, Girls, Girls. You know? Yeah. Uh, just very, very subpar, but a huge album. So you'll hear about it on Terrence's new podcast.
1: <laughs> <laughs> wow, I'm surprised I don't see
0: anything yeah. shake
1: on this fucking list. Boop. <laughs> that
0: song's horrible
1: Those <laughs> oh, trumpets huh? Those fake keyboard trumpets That's something else already That, say, shit's, say no is, that shit's as fake as Andrew
2: Yeah, now, now that's where you need to bring up Aerosmith Because it's got the horrible fucking uh, Aerosmith yeah. 80's horns on it oh, and, that, and, and,
1: that and I believe they were, And I believe They were both in the studio at the same time Same studio Recording albums you're Maya right. Gowell. Yep. They say, "Hey, can I can I use those fake trumpets on fucking uh, on Rattlesnake Shake?" Awful. It's so bad it makes Skid Row's Rattlesnake Shake sound somewhat decent.
3: <laughs> 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 yeah, I this song did not make my list. I don't hate it. And, and going back to something Ralph said. This, and and also Johnny said, this came out in the summer, and I will never forget the debut, I was with a bunch of buddies, and, you know, we were all kind of in the same camp, we did not like girls, 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 Um, we were kind of down on crew at the time, and when this video came out, we were like, whoa, whoa, it was like, almost like, okay, they're wearing black leather again, there's pentagrams in the video, there's fire in the video, it's heavy, it has that kind of groove to it, like, Wow, you know, maybe this album's going to be cool. And the song has just kind of faded over the years to me. Like, it, it's not a bad song. It's just, it, you know, it's probably been hurt by being overplayed and all that stuff. But the opening groove is really cool. I think the lyrics are goofy as shit. Um, but, uh, you know, it's it's not a bad song. A uh, little overproduced. The whole album is overproduced and way too polished, but uh, not, not a bad song. Uh, Edwin?
4: I, Lars Ulrich heard the song and was like, hey, James, if we sound like this, I can start buying some Picassos. So, you know, this is really important to Metallica. I want, you know, this was the song that got me into Motley Crue. This was the song I, I watched it on Headbangers Ball, the premiere. I was like, this is cool. And because I kind of thought of them more as like smoking the boys room and like I didn't know too much about Motley Crue before this. And I like, this is this is pretty badass sounding, and I went out and got the album, and and within months I got like the earlier album. So I, I still think it stands up. It's a good rocking tune. It's great guitar riff. Good, good tone. Good production, and I dig it. One thing though about that video though, is it just me or I even thought this as a teenager. Isn't that like drug dealer? Like the actor that plays the drug dealer? Does he look kind of like a pussy? <laughs> like, he does, he's not, like, really a tough-looking guy. He's not like a Danny Trejo-looking type of
3: guy. All right, Edwin, you're taking the next one. This is from Edwin. Edwin and me definitely dig this album uh, a lot more than uh, our two beloved hosts. But uh, this is the next entry from Too Fast for Love, and it's Take Me to the Top at number 16.
4: Ah, oh, this song's awesome. I fucking love this song. It's one of their best songs. It's just good... Sl- Grimy, catchy, ain't trying too hard, you know. That's how I like my Motley. We're not trying too hard because when they try hard, it's horrible. Uh, just you know, fucking rock and roll music, and it's catchy. I I, I love the the verses. It's got that kind of that, that cool guitar li- hook that Mick's doing. It's got like I don't know distorted flange. I'm not a tech guy. I don't know what he's doing, but it sounds cool. some kind of cool effect. Then it kicks into the chorus. It's catchy. It's one of their best songs i think it's catchy it's it's awesome it's just sleazy rock and roll music i fucking love uh, this song it's awesome
3: ian take me to the
2: top well i kind of got to agree with uh, edwin on this one they don't try too hard and they achieve it um... <laughs> How, how, how many more songs we got to talk about? <laughs> now, oh, somebody else. Ralph. Um, number
1: twenty-one on my list. Uh, I love it. It's one of the better songs on. Uh, there's. It's my third favorite. Overlooking my list, there's two above it from Too Fast for Love. I've always liked this song. It's one of the standout tracks of uh, of the album, and, and I dig it. I dig Take me to the top.
0: All right, who's that? Uh, Johnny. Oh, I love this song, man. I I think it's another... It's a unique song. The tempo change is super cool and, uh, you know, super different for them. I mean, just one quick lyric. I mean, in a Blackheart and alley fight, I'm screaming, take me to the heights tonight, take me to the top. I mean, that shit's killer, man. That's a great lyric. Um, I love this song. I mean, and I, I thought it was really cool... I know we all probably have different views of the movie The Dirt, but the, the montage, um, the Take Me to the Top montage when they're coming up the club scene in The Dirt was a super, probably one of the highlights of the movie for me. It was pretty cool. Vince is banging that chick in the bathroom and, or in the dressing room and gets caught. I mean, that, that was a cool part of the movie. Um, and I just, I dig this song, man. I, I love Take Me to the Top.
3: Yeah, I, I I love this song too. Uh, I had it uh, not too. I had twenty six, but um, again, I mean, we talk about this over and over again on this album. I just love mixed guitar tone on it. That opening riff is so cool. Um, very good solo, um, and I also love uh, this song is it, it produced. I mean, it's so minimal. There's not even a guitar overdub on the solo. It's just bass and guitar on the solo. Um, and luck, luckily for Nicky, they keep the bass very simple at that part of the song, where you can actually hear his bass. Um, and yeah, most it's,
4: is Nick even plugged in for
3: It's unbelievable that that like of <laughs> any band I can think of, there is no band where the bass is more buried in the mix, and the guy who plays bass is the guy who's supposed to be like you know the. The genius of this band. It's yeah, back. it's
4: it's a, normally if, like, when you hear bass in a metal band, it's because, like, the bassist is the main songwriter, like Steve Harris or Lemmy or something. But in Motley Crue, it's like the main songwriter is the bassist, but he doesn't want you to hear the bass. So, what's <laughs> fucking going on there? That, that,
1: that, that, uh, bass,
3: burying bass in the mix was very, very influential to Poison. <laughs> Bobby Dow, man. Oh, he can play. Like yeah.
2: <laughs> well, well, the funny thing is, you know, <laughs> Lars Ulrich heard, uh, you know, Dr. Feelgood said, "Ooh, I want that sound," and, and, and Nikki heard uh, "Injustice
3: for All" and said, "Ooh, I want that. Take out the bass."
0: <laughs>
3: <gonna> <laughs> well, no, he got that sound. It's exactly what he got. Yeah, nope. you
1: notice, you notice everybody bitches about Metallica with "Injustice for All." Oh, having no bass. Yeah, nobody bitches about Molly Crew where
0: you can't hear the bass. Everybody's
1: <laughs> happy
2: about that. The
4: girls—they just want to look at Nicky. They don't want to hear him. Yeah. yeah. Oh
2: my God, <laughs>
1: Nicky Six.
2: So yeah, loud. but but in, in Nicky's defense, he was playing along with the cowbell, and it was blending in. So they just hyped up the cowbell and took out the bass.
1: I think I, 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 I think actually that wasn't a cowbell. That was Nicky Six hitting I, the bass I, string.
4: I, I feel like I've heard Sid Vicious more on bass than fucking Nikki
3: Sixx. <laughs> <laughs> wow. All right,
2: that's quote of the show. God damn it. That's-
3: <laughs> and I'm sure, Ralph, you'll mix in some cowbell later, right?
1: Uh, yeah, okay.
3: Um, at number 15, another from uh, Theater of Pain, Louder Than Hell.
2: Um. Yeah. uh, Once I got past ten, I was just picking songs that I heard before. Uh, (laughs) uh, 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 Again, this is a testament to uh, to Motley Crue. It's such slim pickings. I was like, yeah, yeah, that one, that one. uh, That's on the album. Um, what song is this again?
3: Louder than Hell. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah, like it, yeah.
2: louder, louder than hell. I, I mean, how does he come up with this? Some like it loud. Ooh, some like it loud. Uh, hear, poetry. Um, <laughs> yeah. and some like the shit muted, like me. Um, God, that that's this high. Only in a Motley Crue top twenty-five. Can this be there? Uh, Next,
0: first thing I'm going to say about it is, it's good. It's good song. You know, your standard, standard crew, decent song. This doesn't suck. You know, mid tier theater song. I that's all I have to say about Louder Than Hell. Leftover from Shout, originally Hotter Than Hell, which were the, that's where they got the lyric from, obviously they stole it right from fucking Kiss, but uh, It's
4: pretty um, bad, bad when you're stealing from Kiss, because Kiss is stealing from people, so it's
0: like I'm, I'm, from I'm posting killing. I'm <laughs> posting tomorrow the original Rock and Metal Combat Podcast Theater of Pain episode, and then you'll all know Ian's real thoughts on Theater of Pain. Oh! Oh, you'll hear
1: you'll hear my real thoughts too. Yeah, yeah. I, I I know I didn't give that shit a glowing review. I'm sure I did.
0: No, yeah. but he did. Oh,
1: yeah. There's there's a couple songs I like off it. I told you there's two on my list. You no,
2: know, uh. I, I I loved it at the time, and it was important for what it did for me. Like going towards hard rock and stuff, but you know, also at the same time I thought Growing Page was the greatest TV show I've ever heard <laughs> <laughs> I mean,
1: God.
0: Right, right. I know, I know. I know. Edwin about- Uh
4: a Louder Than what's the song called?
3: Louder than Hell.
4: Uh, yeah, it's a, it's a catchy enough song. It's all right. It's like, uh, it's kind of like them trying to do it like a Creatures of the Night, like Twisted Sister type of song. It's all right. It's catchy. It's fun enough. It's, it's, you know, probably was somewhere in my 20s, I would guess. 27. There you go. It was somewhere, it was 27. So like, that's when I'm starting to like, think of like, what's the song I remember? And it, it's good, you know, it's all right. It's, it's a decent filler track on uh Theater of Pain, it does its job. It's kind of just fun, fun, dumb, kind of disposable mid 80s heavy metal. It's not great, it's not good, it's just kind of all right, but I don't it's hate
1: it.
3: Grew. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, it did make my list. I don't hate the song, it's, it's, it's okay. It's that's I, if I said any more. It would be too much.
2: We interrupt this
3: program for an important news announcement.
1: And the news is, this is the end of part one. We ramble. This ain't even half of the podcast. But uh, we continue with the list, and uh, we continue ragging on Andrew Jacobs and Terrence Reardon even more. So tune in whenever the hell I get around to editing all this stuff, because it's a pain in the ass. But I'm glad to be back. So join us for the next episode. schmack a
3: Farewell and adieu to you, fair Spanish ladies. Farewell and adieu, you ladies of Spain.
4: For we've received orders for to sail back to Boston.
3: And so, nevermore shall we see you again. <laughs>